I've learned many lessons over the years. And one of them is learning when to say, okay, that that's not working. You know, like you've made big investments in money and time and you realize, okay, that's, that's not it. And that is like really scary. It is so scary, especially when you're on, you know, you're like third career in life and you have a family. It is so hard to do that. But I just had to say, gosh, that's, that's still not right. And then I started doing more interior design, like through friends and family. I just started sort of building up. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. Hello everyone, welcome to Imprint. I'm very excited to share today's guest with you, interior designer Erica Johnston. We first came into contact when she took my course, the Styling Masterclass, and instantly I could recognize that she had a beautiful aesthetic and I was curious to watch her journey. And then lo and behold, a short time afterwards, she had her work featured in Architectural Digest. She's had her work featured in Domino Magazine and really wanted to find out more about her journey and how she has built her business in interior design. She's based in Northern California and has got a beautiful aesthetic, which I think you will really love and connect with. You can go and check out her website and I'll put all of the links in the show notes. So please enjoy my conversation with Erica Johnston. Hi, Erica. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I've been wanting to have you on for a little while because we first met when you took my course, the Styling Masterclass. And since then, I've enjoyed watching your journey unfold. You were one day on, you know, having your work featured on Architectural Digest, which was amazing. And I thought, okay, I've got to find out, you know, what's happening? How is all this possible? And where, you know, your next steps? Because I think a lot of people are really you know, they love interiors and they want to do interior design, but it can sometimes seem daunting of like, how do you get started? How do you get clients? How do you get publicity? All of those things. And um, really wanted to get you to share a light on that. Now, I do like to start at the beginning though. So can you just start a little bit more about your journey, where you grew up, what your childhood was like? Because I think it's often interesting to sort of see those threads and how they then show up later on in life. So um, yeah, tell us all the things. Yeah, well, so I grew up in California. Um, and, you know, as a child, I mean, I love to read, I love to kind of draw and paint. But, you know, I, my parents didn't go to college. And so my big thing in life at that time was just kind of succeeding in school and going to college and doing something that my parents would be proud of doing something that they weren't able to access. And, you know, because of that, you know, me with like 90% of my freshman university class, we all thought we wanted to be doctors or lawyers or go into business and, you know, creative careers. I didn't even know there were creative careers. I didn't even know it was an option. I didn't have 
you know, parents to talk to about that kind of thing. And so I went in to college taking, you know, science and math and, you know, doing all of that sort of stuff. And then I ended up studying abroad and I realized, oh, I don't want to be stuck in a hospital like until I'm 40. And so I was, I, I decided to just kind of explore other options. And after college, I did end up going like into business, but slowly by slowly, I started to um, move into more creative pursuits. And so I started to work on sort of the business side of design companies that were, you know, designing products and web experiences and things like that. And I felt like, you know, it's still, I, there's something inside of me that is not being fulfilled. And during that time I was painting more, I was exploring kind of interior design kind of personally for myself. And then I ended up getting a job at a place called One Kings Lane, which was basically like a online um, home decor commerce site. And they, you know, they had stylists, they did photo shoots, they had interior designers, they had all these people that, you know, I had never met before, and I'd never been around. And I just thought, wow, I, I really love that. And so, you know, because it was sort of a startup, I got to like, I would ask, oh, could I, you know, shadow you or could I just be there for this just to start to see what the other um, sides of the business did. And I realized, you know, I really, I really loved interior design. I loved like, you know, you know, home decor products. I thought, you know, maybe I want to design that. And I just, you know, started thinking about these things. And at that time I was pregnant with my daughter, my second child. So I took some time off to, you know, have a baby and um really started thinking about what it was i wanted to do and i you know because i i used to get like 50 percent off i started you know i bought i started buying like my first real pieces of furniture that weren't you know like out of a box that you had to assemble um you know they also had vintage items on the marketplace and i started learning more about antiques and the vintage side and i just just started exploring in my free time. So during the day I would work and then at night, you know, like feeding baby, I would just, you know, just learn and educate myself. And, you know, after I had her, I decided not to go back. And I decided that, you know, I wanted to um, maybe design my own products, you know, and maybe I could sell them at One King's Lane. And so I don't know, Natalie, did, did, have you, um, seen Pemberley Rose. So it's my my home decor products for kids. So I have like bedding and wallpaper and prints and things like that. And so I I, you know, kind of developed sort of this whole line. And my idea was I wanted, I don't want anything that's throwaway. I want things that, you know, you could use and mix in with what you have, but were sort of artistic. So I worked with artists on the prints and it was all very like sketchy and different things. And um, so I, you know, so I've, you know, I, I found the manufacturing partners in Israel and India and then, you know, and I worked with like a PR firm to get the word out and it was, you know, and it was great. And I loved the design process. I love talking about it. And then I realized I hate fulfilling products. I hate managing operations. I was like, that's what I'm trying to escape. And I just, you know, and it's one of those, this is probably one of my you know, I've learned many lessons over the years. And one of them is learning when to say, okay, that that's not working. 
you know, like you've made big investments in money and time and you realize, okay, that's, that's not it. And that is like really scary. It is so scary. And especially when you're on, you know, you're like third career in life and you have a family, it is so hard to do that. But I just had to say, gosh, that's, that's still not right. And, you know, many conversations with my husband later and, and I just, I realized, you know, it's, I do love the home. I do love products of designing products. I don't want to mass produce them. I want to, you know, it wasn't, I really, and, and then I started doing more interior design, like through friends and family. I just started sort of building up. I took classes more on the, more on the equipment side of things. So like computer programs and things like that to, to help me, because I always had this sort of something inside of me and I know if it's, you just, you know, you've, you just have an eye and I don't know. I don't want to say I have the eye because that sounds terrible. I don't want to say I have the eye, but, but you just, something just, it just kind of, it just clicks and it's hard to explain. Like it's not learned. It's just you, it's this innate sense of things and how they go together and how you can mix different eras, colors, textures, and it either works or doesn't. And I just feel that, but I had to learn the, you know, the, the, pro the right process. I had to learn the right tools and things like that. And so through friends and family and learning the tools, I sort of started in interior design. That's, that's kind of how you start because until you have like a good portfolio, um, you really can't get caught. You have to show them what you can do. And so it's, you know, whether it's just a bathroom here, or maybe this living room here, or this set of shelves that I styled and, you know, styling, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole nother thing. That's, that's, you know, I would say I'm a designer that dabbles in styling and it's like, a, it's an ongoing thing, but that's, that's kind of how I started. And I just, you know, I think that and I didn't, I don't have a PR firm that I work with um, for interior design. Like I think, you know, I, I had a feature in Domino uh, for a bathroom renovation I did. And I just sent the email out, like the generic design email address and holy smokes, they wrote back. Like it was just, I was like, what? <laughs> like, you know, you just kind of put it out there and then, you know, and then I had a a piece come out in Architecture Digest, and for the, and it's funny. Like once you have something out in the ether, some people start to contact you, and somebody contacted me for that one. Um, and he he was a PR person. He was like, "But I will, you know, it it didn't have to be like an ongoing monthly commitment. It was like I'm going to take what you have right now and I'll put it out there." And he put it out there and ended up in Architectural Digest. And you know, Natalie, I think for that your class is indispensable. I'll probably do for another session, but you know, it's like, you know, styling really, I think really brought that particular project to life. It was, you know, because it, it was a project that was very clean and, you know, it was all about bringing the outside in and, you know, balancing different client tastes, but it's, you know, it needed like that extra layer of like, you know, needed to sing. And it was really through like the pieces that I brought into that space that I feel like really helped bring it to life. You know, the, the selection of ceramics and art and greenery and all of that. But anyway, that's how I got started. That's my journey. <laughs> I might've, I might've taken a tangent 
off. Um, but but that's that's kind of how it happened. And you know, I think it's like you just try to build up your portfolio and you know try and um, get projects out there. Try to be seen. You know, be on Instagram, even if you're. You know, I don't know. I'm of the generation where it's really hard to be on Instagram. I have to force myself to go out there and like put my face out there. And it's like, oh, but yeah, that's I mean, that's my journey. It was it did not start in the I, I didn't know I was a creative and I had to discover that about myself and I had to make some scary decisions. Right. And go from like nice, like, you know, paychecks to like you know no paycheck fortunately like i had a good partner that helped me and was a not not everybody could do that but you know i think that that's that that was how i that's how, how i did it little by little and discovering more about myself and yeah i hope yeah. i hope that answered the question <laughs> yeah. no 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 it does i mean i want to there's so many things i want to ask you about in relation to that and and kind of just back up a little bit in terms of you know, when this, when you said about with your other business and you had to kind of, you got to this moment of realizing, you know what, this is actually not what I want to do. And I think yeah. so many people get caught in that. And we have, there's this concept of like sunk cost bias. So it's like, you've invested all this money, you've invested all this time. And so you feel that, well, because I've done that, like it, it feels like a waste or it, but you know, like you, you kind of hold on to something because of all the work you have done rather than looking yeah. to like, well, what, you know, for a start, I'm actually not enjoying it. And secondly, well, you know, the longer I hold on to this thing that actually doesn't bring me joy, the less time I'm actually doing the thing that will bring me joy. And I think so many of us get to that point where it, like you say, it's a really scary decision. And I'm just curious for you, was there something that helped you make that decision to kind of go, no, it's time to let go? Or was it just an iterative process? Or yeah, I'm just curious about how you actually let go, because I think letting go can take so many different forms. And I think people struggle with it in so many different ways, particularly when you've invested money in something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was I had to really be honest with myself. And I, you know, because every day I would wake up and it would be time to get to work and I didn't want to open my computer. I didn't like I found myself just not like just not wanting to. And I had to force myself and I was like, oh, this is this is what I, you know, moved away from. And here I am again and I'm getting that feeling. And it was, you know, and I think you know, you do that a few days in a row, a few weeks in a row, a few months in a row. And then, you know, you start to realize like, like, I'm not happy. This isn't it. Like I cannot continue. And, you know, I had to sit with it and had a pit in my stomach for a long time thinking about how do I talk to my partner about this? Right. And so, and then I, but I knew like, you just, I just knew, and I just lived with it long enough and kept recognizing the signs and it just I, I knew it wasn't it wasn't right like I yeah I, I didn't I didn't want to look at shipping logs anymore and I didn't want to like have like calls with Israel and India anymore and about you know and it was just yeah and I realized you know like I 
I'm creative and I'm a hard worker and, you know, I'm organized and all those things. If I start something, I finish it. But I realized like, you know, that this was just, you know, I, I live in the more of like the, the dreamer part of creative land. So I like to dream and implement and then move on to the next dream, I think. And so it was, it was just not, yeah, yeah. It was just, it wasn't, it wasn't stimulating enough. I wasn't able to, um, I needed like shorter, shorter timelines and to be creative, you know, I needed a different type of creativity and I needed more yeah. of it. Yeah. And I'm just wondering as well that, cause I think it's really interesting that as you mentioned, you know, you, you've got this feature in, in Domino and architectural digest and all these other things. And what you learned from, because I remember One King's Lane when it first came out and it was like huge, you know, like it was really, I, I yeah, you know, I don't know so much about it anymore. It's less on my radar. So I'm not even sure if it's still a, a trading company or not, but I, rem I definitely remember when it first came out because they did lots of collaborations, I think, with different oh, yeah. people getting them yeah. to sort of do their collections. And I'm curious because I do think this whole process that you've spoken about that, you know, you didn't have creative parents, neither did I, you know, and like you were, you know, you went down the safe path in terms of like, you know, what you studied and all of that. And I actually started doing an economics degree, which I still don't know why I decided to do that. You know, like it was a time when, you know, like creativity wasn't a thing that you did as a job. Like it was like people who did that were like artists and it was like, I mean, that was certainly for me in my era. I don't know, you know, if we're sort of where we cross over, but, um, you know, I, I think kind of having that exposure in a business that is within that world of creativity. And like you say, you picked up so many lessons from that time. And I'm just wondering, like, what do you think were some of the big things that you learned during that time while you're working there um, in terms of like, you know, having that confidence to then reach out to companies, you know, or uh, magazines or publications or, you know, having that confidence to put your work out there. What, how, what some of the lessons do you think you learned? I mean, one key, I was there from the beginning, like, you know, I was an early employee and I think it was just like the hustle, I think, because at the beginning, it was just Allie and Susan hustling hustling and they wore many different hats. And I think for me, it was just, you know, and sometimes they had to, you know, fake it until they made it like, and like, and, and I just, you know, and that's, that's kind of what I learned. Like it was, and we would try different things at one King's Lane because it was a small kind of startup environment. We would like try one thing creatively and then see how it went. Oh, that didn't work. Now let's try this. And, and it was, and I also saw that it wasn't just right or wrong like it was it was just this iterative thing it was testing things out and you know i and then i felt like oh you know it's because i i didn't know how that process worked and i felt like oh that's that's something i could try or i could do or it's okay to make a mistake or there's no right or wrong answer it's you know it's just this it's a process right and you pivot and you try different things and I think those were some of my big lessons and just work bloody hard <laughs> and just keep going and trying. And, you know, yeah, those, those, I mean, those yeah. were the, those were the lessons. Yeah. I, I think that they're, they're so valuable though, those lessons, like to kind of get that, 
look behind the curtain, as it were, you know what I mean? To sort of see that you do have to kind of sometimes scramble and you do have to hustle and you do have to, you know, like mistakes will be made and you got to pick yourself up and you got to, you know, because that was certainly the environment when I was working on a magazine. It was within a massive company, but each magazine was actually run almost like as its own little small business. And, and we had to get scrappy and creative and things sometimes work, things did it, you know, and I think it's such an invaluable lesson. You know, I've sort of, again, like I hear, I get people sort of writing to me and asking me about like, well, how do you make it happen? And I think there's this idea sometimes that it's almost like they think people who have success, it's like, oh, the first time they try is just successful and that's it, you know, and it's, it's not like you just have to keep trying different things until something sticks and something really resonates. So yeah, I think it's a really important lesson. So what about then in terms of getting your first clients once then you started to, um, you know, put yourself out there more? I know you sort of said it was through friends and so on, but again, you know, I think yeah. that sometimes this can feel a little bit overwhelming or people sort of don't even know where to begin. And I think so many interior designers do start that way within your network. So how's that worked for you? Well, I also um, I also became a designer on a now defunct platform called Home Polish. <laughs> and so I um, actually there's quite a lot of designers that start out there that are quite famous, like um, Heidi Callier and Tally Roth and people like that. They were all home polish designers. And that's where I started. And so basically they would, you know, match you up with a client uh, locally and then offer off you go. And um, I think a lot of young starting out designers started that way. And that's, and that's how I started to get clients um, that weren't friends and family. And before I had kind of a portfolio. And that that was actually a really good, a really good place. And actually, I still have um, one client now that I originally met through Home Polish. Wow. Can you share more about that platform? I haven't, I'm not familiar with it or for any yeah. listeners that aren't, you know, like yeah. what, what, what were you like, um, how did it work and, and how did that help you, I guess, like get that experience and, and learn how yeah. to deal with clients? Yeah. So it, um, so basically it was a platform of designers and they would match a designer up with a client and then, um, you know, it, and that was it. And it, but it was face to face. It wasn't virtual. It wasn't e-design. Um, it was like in-person clients in your area. And and that was a way for me to just start working with non non kind of friends, friends and family. And they handled the billing of the client. They, you know, and then they would pay the designer like a portion of that. But it was just it was just kind of a good way for me to just get out there and just start working with with more clients and getting more experience under my belt. And I think now there are some platforms that do just e-design that I think are also good for, you know, designers that are just starting. They just to get your feet wet to start because you need to practice and you need to practice with people that have different problems, design problems, people that have different design tastes or different, you know, homes with different architectural features because it's in design it's not one size fits all so it's really important to just start you know working with clients and even you know not just the design work but even you know 
managing clients, managing clients' expectations and timelines and budgets. And, you know, how do you work with clients that have never worked with a designer before? And how do you work with clients that have and have had a bad experience? And so, you know, just, just trying to, you know, get more people. And, you know, I know other designers have like done projects for free, you know, like a friend of a friend just to start getting, you know, more projects under their belt. And, you know, hopefully maybe one of those might be a good portfolio project. And so um, how have you worked out what works best for you in terms of charging clients? This is something that I ask, you know, lots of interior designers that come onto the podcast, because I think it's something that so many people struggle with, like knowing how to charge for your services you know, what model you use. Everyone seems to use a slightly different model. Um, I'm curious to know, you know, what works well for you and, and what's your approach to that? Yeah, so I, it's definitely an okay to refine your charging model as you grow or as things change. And so I will say I, I charge by the hour and then I charge like a kind of a percentage to um to manage like the the buying and logistics process um and so you know and then that's something that's changed a little bit and it you know i i try to do flat fees and i might still do it in the future and i'm i think it's something that the legal side is really important because you know i've been burned in the past where i've done a flat fee project and i've been very explicit about, you know, these are all the things that are included. Um, and then you have clients come back to you and say, well, that wasn't my understanding of it. And so it's, it is like, it is really doing flat fee is super tricky. And uh, you have to be really, really careful. And you have to, um, you have to really get the legal side of it, I think, buttoned down. And so for me, I just, you know, I went back to the hourly model. And then, like I said, a percentage for managing like the, you know, the purchasing of items and then the logistics of receiving those items. And sometimes, you know, sometimes that process can be really easy. And sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes you have to go hunt vendors, vendors down. And like, you know, I had a sofa once, I think I went to the showroom, like, or to the workroom, like 30 times. And then finally, you know, so it's like, it's a way to kind of cover your time for those sorts of things. But, but yeah, and that's worked pretty well. I do give my clients, depending on, you know, the scope of work, oh, I think it will be about, you know, this many hours of work to do this. But I'm always very, very clear. And I say it multiple times throughout the process, it's an estimate because you know, design is an iterative process. You know, sometimes we look at three things and one of those three things is the right thing. Sometimes we have to look at 30 and we have to look at 30 for many different items, you know, depending on the client, because some clients need different things in order to make decisions, right? And so, you know, even though you might do um, a 3D rendering of what it's going to look like, that's still, you know, some people are able to make a decision based off of that. And some people need to make sure that they've looked at every possible item before they feel comfortable making a decision on a piece. So it's it's like you have to be a little bit flexible and you have to make sure that you cover yourself for that time and are clear that it's, you know, there's there's a little bit of give and take in that. So what do you use in terms of like technology as part of your process? Um, 
you know, what design tools do you use? What project management tools do you use? What, what works well for you? Um, so in terms of project management, I use something called Asana. And that is where I put in, like, I organize it by project and we'll put in tasks and we'll put in timelines and, you know, you can create, can create like little Gantt charts and share them with your clients. You can assign people tasks, you can assign things to yourself. Um, so I really like sort of using that because there's many, many different things going on in a project and some things are higher priorities than others and you have to be able to see across various projects to make sure you're always kind of ahead of the game. And I also use, I don't know if this, <laughs> this is like old school, but I also use a lot of Google Sheets. Like I, you know, when I'm creating um, like paint schedules for clients and, you know, I'm doing like, um, we call them FFE schedules. So like, um, fixtures and equipment schedules, but it's, it's really like products, you know, and things like that. And so that's where I will like, you know, organize all of that sort of thing. And then I also use, I use a lot of sketch. I like SketchUp for my renderings. I like to use it for floor plans and I like to use it for renderings. Um, I, I use CAD a little bit as well, but I prefer, I prefer SketchUp. Um, and that's that's what I use for my 3D models and all of that. Do you outsource any of the tasks in relation to the design process or, um, you know, any of the yeah, the work that you do? Or are you kind of doing you, you're across all of those different areas at this point? Uh, I'm across everything. But when I have a lot of projects, I have some people that I work with to kind of help me um, deal with the design overflow for sure yeah and um and obviously we've touched on publicity and, and how important that is um i think that getting photos of your work is one of the most important things as an interior designer so that you can showcase and promote your work and i'm also a big believer in that you kind of want to capture the work that you want to get so that the type of work you put out there you might not necessarily photograph all your projects what what's your take on that and and how important has it been for you to get professional photography for your projects professional photography is very important um but i've also i haven't I, i'm very selective about what i photograph i don't photograph every project because i am in that phase of like you know trying to um you know curate a certain type of project and so in a certain type of like I I actually don't necessarily like to stick to one look I like to dabble in you know different design styles I find that super interesting but at the same time I think I do have like I you know I would probably never photograph a project that didn't let me use vintage like so I wouldn't because that's not that's you know that's that's not I I really love to give projects a twist and if i feel like it doesn't feel like me then i won't photograph it um you know because not 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 every project is is you know for your portfolio and i think that's okay i think it's just knowing knowing which ones and you know it's kind of a gut feel i think i think for me i think the ones where i've been able to um 
flex my creative muscles a bit more and had a little bit more leeway, um, then I think those are the ones that I've tended to photograph. And, and how would you describe like your aesthetic, the one that, you know, resonates most with you in terms of what you want to put out there? Like what's, what's important to you in terms of interiors, the look and feel of spaces? Well, I guess first and foremost, I want to make sure that the, the interior is in harmony with the architecture of the home. So it feels like it fits and it doesn't mean that if it's a mid-century modern house the interior has to be mid-century modern but modern but it has to be kind of harmonious with that in some way like i you know um like i probably might not put like a louis the 14th chest in like a mid-century modern home you know I don't like i may one day but i don't think i would do that right now but um but so that's that's number one and then i you know i really like I like to mix styles. I like to mix furniture from different eras and maybe the common thread is like, you know, some colors or, you know, something. So I like to mix furniture. I like to bring in, um, you know, vintage paintings and, you know, interesting sculptures. And I like to really layer, layer looks together and mix things up. Um, and that's that's kind of you know that's re that's really it. I mean, I think that it has to work with the architecture. It has to also speak to who's living there because I think it's also important that it doesn't feel like it's out of a showroom or that I went away and created something and it doesn't have anything to do with the homeowner. Because I think that's really important. It has to be a, a reflection of who lives there. So, for example, I have a project I'm getting ready to shoot and the homeowners are east asian and so you know i've like gone and found some like you know vintage pieces from india that i've brought in and i just like i you know and you know they tell me they like you know the jewel tones and so i found a way to bring in kind of jewel tones in a way that is harmonious and works and so i i think it's super important that you get to know your client that it's a reflection of them and you bring it in in unexpected ways what about your actual design process itself? So, you know, you get a client, how do you then start bringing um, a home to life for them? What, what's your process in terms of the actual design process? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's basically three general phases that I think of in design. There's the discovery phase, the development phase, and the implementation phase. And in the discovery phase, I'm doing a couple of things. I'm getting to know my clients. I ask them questions. Um, I also observe, like I observe them in their homes and not like in a weird, creepy way, but I just, I just take note. I take note of things. I take note of like what they're wearing. I take note of, you know, maybe their handbag. I take, just, just start to notice things about them and how they choose to spend their time. Um, I also, you know, some clients come to you with images and then you know i might show them additional images of things so we're trying to get to a place where i'm getting to know them but i'm also trying to come up with um you know a design an overarching theme for the design and so that you know that could be like a mix of you know living room images pieces of furniture or maybe it's just like you know, random images with colors and textures and things like that. But we're trying to come up with something that reflects, you know, where they live, how they want to live, 
Um, because I think it's always a mix of that, right? It's there's, they have some design problem or some functionality problem in their home that we're trying to address. So we need to have visuals to help us nail that and then getting to know them. And then, you know, once we have, and that's usually like, you know, culminates in like a, like a mood board and maybe like a few keywords of, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is what we're striving for. Um, and then I start the, once we, we agree on that, then I get into the development process. And so that's like, you know, measuring spaces, creating floor plans. Um, I start to develop, you know, maybe a 3D model of the space and, you know, all of those things. And so that's where like, you know, kind of the quantitative and like, you know, more technical design things meet the creative, um, the creative there. And so we're developing this, the design and I start showing things to clients and we start, you know, developing the materials in more detail, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then we get to the implementation implementation phase. And that's where, you know, we're like getting quotes, you know, if we're going to do construction, we are getting quotes for different things, you know, to, you know, renovate a bathroom or a kitchen, or maybe it's like, you know, quote to um, build this built-in that's part of the design. You know, we start ordering furniture, managing, you know, that whole just getting it done um, process. What, uh, like, obviously a huge part of working on these kind of projects can be working with contractors, can be working with, um, you know, maybe carpenters or different sort of trades. What do you find, um, how do you manage that? Because obviously you're dealing with people who are you know sometimes you're dealing with different people all the time you know when you're working on different projects how do you find you know managing that because it, that's like a whole other language it's a whole other um you know a different group of people you're dealing with as opposed to clients and then you've got you know the sort of the, the trades and the sort of the skilled workers as it were how do you manage that side of it expectations as well. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've really, over the years, I've really tried to develop a list of like tradespeople that, um, I work really well with, but having said that, you know, it's, I'm sure it's the same in Australia, but in the U S it's like been such a boom for like construction and any skilled trade, like you know, trying to have a, you know, a carpenter build anything has been really difficult. Getting furniture made has been really difficult. The timelines and the costs have all kind of exploded. So even though I had my people, I've had to expand that list and, you know, work with new people just because I had to. And so, you know, that is, whew, that is a whole nother thing. I mean, I think it's really important that you're really clear upfront um, be as detailed as you can, like with your design, with your expectations. I mean, down to like what finish I want to use on a piece of furniture. I will like list out the specific product that I want to use. I'll like list out like check-in points that I want to have. And then I have a, you need to have a really frank conversation about lead times because there are some, you know, trades people out there that will kind of tell you what you want to hear to get the job. And then you know, 14 weeks later, it's like, oh no, we haven't started. 
and it's like you know so it's it's like it's you get <laughs> so no matter what you want and say up front they might still do that to you right like and you just call them every day and you call them every day and you know i've definitely had that i do as much as i can to ensure that process goes smoothly by reaching out checking in but sometimes you it is out of your control because it is not your business and it's you just have to be really open with your with your clients. And I think if you're trying somebody new that is not a recommendation, or even if it's a recommendation, doesn't mean that they're going to be a good, it, it's going to be a good relationship with you because you're new, right? They'll prioritize other people over you. So it's like just being really clear and open um, with your clients about what's going on. And then just, you know, just keep calling, keep visiting. Like I just turn up. And like what's going on <laughs> you know even during construction like you have you know you have contractors out there that are so good at project management and they're so good at looping in designers at the right point and then there are contractors out there you just chase them like you have the timeline and then you have to go figure out and just be there um and make sure things are going kind of are being built as designed, you know, and sometimes you'll be you'll be surprised and you just try to insert yourself um, as much as you can to catch things before things go awry. Yeah, it's a whole other skill set, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of skill sets, I mean, as you know, I mentioned at the start, how I came across you was through um, you know, when you joined the Starling Masterclass. I'm just curious. I mean, you've sort of mentioned that you started to learn how to do different software programs and so on. How important has investing in yourself and investing in your learning been for your growth as an interior designer? And um, what other, you know, have you taken on other courses or programs to help you learn? You know, how's that been important to you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a I think it's a constant thing. So I do take courses, you know, here and there, like, you know, there might be like new features and design programs or there, I mean, there are new design programs that I want to learn, you know, Revit, I'd like to learn Revit um, because I don't love CAD. And so that's, you know, that's a, something I'd like to learn. Hearing about other interior designers journeys um, is, is really helpful and hearing about how they, how they think about, you know, design problems or clients or their process, I think, is super is super helpful i'm always in addition to classes or you know listening to other designers journeys i you know i subscribe to so many interior design magazines but it's on my ipad so i'm not i'm not cutting down trees but but yeah, i mean i you know there's like australian home and garden there's home and garden from the uk of course there's architectural digest and there's you know like so many, so many publications that I look at, you know, Cabana magazine, and I kind of just consume uh, a lot of that. And, you know, of course, I'm also always on kind of Instagram and looking at other designers and architects. And I think the neat thing about things like Instagram is that, um, you know, you kind of get to see the process as well. Like I love, I, I don't, don't just like looking at, you know, finished pictures. I like looking at like their interim construction and things like that. I find that all very kind of very interesting, you know, um, 
And I'm always looking up, you know, how to do things. If there's something that I, you know, that I hadn't done before, I, you know, do lots of research and, you know, um, contact people out in the field and, and do a lot of learning that way too. Like I'm thinking about doing X, like do you have some time to talk about, you know, how we, how we could make that happen. And, you know, and I, I learned like that. Yeah, no, it's great. And before we go into the final questions, I just wanted to ask you one more, which was, you know, obviously this comes up a lot in terms of when you're designing, where do you think people should spend? And when do you think that they can sort of make savings on their spaces? What are the areas that you think are really important to prioritize or the types of materials or the types of objects to prioritize? And, you know, perhaps which ones do you think, um, you know, you can be more flexible with? Yeah, well, I think, you know, if you are, if you have a construction project, I mean, I think it's important to spend on the architectural um, interior. So like the shell, you need to spend on the shell. So I think that, you know, like making sure that you save budget for built-ins and, you know, you put in um, good lighting. And I think, you know, I think there are places that, that you can save and spend on lighting as well. I think you need, you know, need to be smart about that. Like, you know, I think, for example, if you're, I mean, there's so many companies out there that have really nice, that are like, you know, local handcrafted fixtures that you can get that look good. And I think it's just, um, you know, balancing, kind of balancing that out. Like sometimes I might say, okay, we're going to go with a luxury vinyl tile for your flooring um but of course not just any luxury vinyl tile has to have like the right look and the feel and all that kind of stuff and then we're going to save a little and then we're going to spend a little more on your fixtures um so it's really thinking about the shell and what is going to be what's the feature in kind of the shell of the room right um so i think i think about that first and foremost and then you know like i said you know things like built-ins um, and I try to tell clients, even if we can't buy all your furniture now, um, because we're going to do this built in, like you're never going to go back and build that piece of storage furniture that will change your life. You know, like it was, it's, it's like one of those things that like, you know, storage can be beautiful, but it's also going to change how you live. So it's important to prioritize some of those things, even if it means, you know, waiting for the right sofa. I think also like when you're looking at furniture, I think, um, my most important advice is to be patient. And, you know, I think you don't want to be impatient and buy something that you really don't like. And then in a year's time, you're going to replace it. I think that, you know, we have to be really cognizant of the planet and what we're doing and what we're consuming. And I think that, you know, being patient and prioritizing things that you're never going to come back and do later that really help, you know, not just the design, but the function of the space are important. That's great advice. Really great advice. Cause I think, you know, you're right. It's when, when you've got all of the, you know, the trades on site, the contractors, you know, the builders, all of that, like it's a big job to get anyone back. So you kind of want to maximize that in terms of them being there on the, the place. And you can find so many of the other elements afterwards, you know, that's, um, yeah. and you can get really creative with that as well. Exactly, exactly. I think it's hard sometimes for clients because they think like, oh, but 
it's supposed to be done like it's and I'll have flowers on my table when we're done. And it's sometimes yes, sometimes yes, but it really depends also on budget. And if the budget's not there and we need to wait a little bit, like I counsel my clients, that's okay. Like that's okay. You know, you don't, it's it's not HGTV. Like we can wait, we we're gonna have to wait a little bit for that, and that's all right. But you know, don't rush because invariably they regret it. And I, you know, and if I've ever let myself be talked down that path, I regret it too. And it's, I think it's important just to, you know, be patient. Yeah. Great advice. All right. Um, let's get on to the, the final questions that I ask all of the, the guests on imprint. And the first one is which five words best describe you? I'm a juggler, <laughs> mom, wife, designer, sometimes psychologist. So I juggle many things and many hats um, and also my business too. Um, I'm a creative dreamer, I think. Like I, I can be a bit shy, um, but I'm also, I'm a hard worker. I'm a hard worker and, you know, and I really also like um, I'm, I guess maybe I'm a ruminator too, because I like to ponder hard problems. I don't know. That might be more than five. I was just about five. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's the best lesson that you've learned in your career, life, whatever it is? One of them. I mean, I think, um, being honest with yourself and then also communicating and over communicating. What's your proudest achievement? Gosh, I mean, I think, you know, I think I'm, I'm proud of, proud of my family. I'm proud of, you know, the life we have, you know, like we, we live a joyful life and I'm, I'm proud that, and we also try to give joy to others. So I think I'm, I'm proud of that. What's been your best decision? <sighs> moving in a creative direction. I am a creative person and I'm so glad I didn't get stuck um, in something that really wasn't for me. In inventory. <laughs> yes. Yes. <And> fulfillment. <laughs> Shipping. <laughs> Who inspires you? Gosh, I've been inspired. I, I mean, you inspire me. I'm inspired by by like all women out there, stay at home moms, working moms, my own mom. I think, you know, we do so many things. Um, and I think we do so many things that are often unrecognized. And, you know, we have so many jobs, real jobs and, you know, the jobs that we don't get titles for. I think, you know, it's it's really inspiring, you know um, other, other women, other women out there and all the women I've gotten to know in this career, I think really inspire me. What are you passionate about? <sighs> wow. Um, I guess, you know, just, I think as I've, as I've gotten older, um, I've really been passionate about I think I said it before, just joy, finding joy in life. And I think it's important to be happy and find your happiness and find your voice and, you know, pass that happiness and kindness along to others. So I think that's really important to be happy and kind humans. 
what dream do you still want to fulfill? So I would like to buy a country home or a chateau in France or somewhere else in Europe and renovate it. So I would like to go off and <laughs> that is that is my that is my dream. I would like to do that tomorrow, please. Me too. That's my, that's my dream. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are you reading? What's on your nightstand or your coffee table? What are you reading at the moment? Well, so I'm always reading design tomes like that is you know i pre-order everything i'm always reading design tomes i have all of yours natalie um but but in my like you know winding down time i'm actually reading something called the discovery of witches it's a bit like <laughs> it's about witches and warlocks and i like to kind of let go and like i think it's that dreamer side of me i like to just you know let it go have that switch off just some kind of completely it, different thing yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. A bit of magic is nice. What are you listening to? Do you enjoy listening to podcasts? Otherwise, what kind of music do you like listening to? Um, I do love podcasts. You know, obviously I listen to Imprint. I also listen to, you know, like Jeremiah Brent's podcast, you know, Athena Calderon. And then there's all these like business of design podcasts that anybody in interior design or aspiring interior designers would find super helpful. So like business of home and things like that. And music, I mean, I love, I love all types of music. Like I like hip hop, but I also like really love the Smiths and Erasure and things like that. So I've got like a very wide, a very wide gamut. And my daughter is into countries and I kind of don't mind it. <laughs> My daughter's 10. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. And finally, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Take your time. Um, try new things. Like, don't be afraid. And I think get out of your head. Like, just, you know, I think, I think for me, I was so stuck on this is the path that I'm on. This is what I must do. This is how I get from A to B. And then I really, you know, didn't take the time to explore, you know, other things that might have been a better fit, um, you know, early on, early on in my career. So I think I think get out of your head, try new things. And don't be afraid. Just take some chances, take some risks. So good. Thank you so much, Erica, for joining us on the podcast and sharing your story. I've loved hearing of what you've had happen next after joining the Styling Masterclass. And, um, and I look forward to seeing what you continue to create because I've loved seeing your work so far. Thank you so much, Natalie. It's been a pleasure. All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton, 
and you've been listening to Imprint. Imprint.